listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3RRR. You're listening to Breakfasters podcast for Tuesday the 26th of April through to Friday the 29th of April. Highlights this week include Dr. Jen came in and spoke about arachnophobia and then later we had a discussion about the time that I spoke to a spider and we had some snake talk in there as well. <laughs> and Daniel Webb from the Human Rights Law Centre talked us through what uh, the PNG Supreme Court decision made about Manus Island meant. And then we had some talk back about uh, changes to Arnott's shapes. Mm, people were very angry about that. Mm, I'm still angry about it. People might have heard the PNG Supreme Court has ruled that the detention of asylum seekers on refugees on Manus Island is illegal. To talk about the implications of that decision, we're joined on the phone by Daniel Webb, the Director of Legal Advocacy at the Human Rights Law Centre. Welcome to Triple R. Good morning. What exactly has this Supreme Court ruled and what are the implications of it? Well, the Supreme Court has said, you know, unlike Australia, Papua New Guinea has a Bill of Rights in its constitution. So it says everyone in PNG is entitled to some basic rights, including, importantly, the right to personal liberty. And the PNG Supreme Court, five judges unanimously have said that uh, indefinitely locking up a thousand men, innocent men on Manus Island for the last three years has been illegal and it's got to end. So that's a massive spanner in the works for the current arrangements. Can this decision be appealed or can the PNG government introduce new legislation? Well, it can't be appealed. This is a this is a unanimous decision by five judges of the highest court in Papua New Guinea. So it's here and it's here to stay. Um, can PNG change the law? Look, I think I think history gives us plenty of reasons to suspect that the Australian government and the PNG government are probably right now trying to hatch some sort of plan to circumvent the court's ruling. Um, my hope, though is that this is a bit of a circuit breaker, that we take a step back and say the reasons why the status quo is unsustainable are adding up. We've got to look at humane policy alternatives. Um, I was struck looking at the decision just very quickly. The language in it is very, very strong. There's references to Martin Luther King. Um, Mm. I think a lot of Australians, when um, the the, um, Manus Island detention centre was first opened, well, there was a lot of talk about PNG being a hellhole, but actually it's turned out to be far more civilised than Australia. Well, there's, there's a bit of an irony in the decision. I mean, there's a lot of places our government could choose to lock up innocent people seeking asylum. It's chosen Manus for a couple of reasons. One is it's really remote, so the hope is that it's sort of beyond the reach of the rule of law. And the second is that it's in PNG, a sovereign nation, and, and we can kind of use PNG sovereignty to deflect criticism whenever it comes our way. So there's something almost sort of poetic about um, the courts of PNG applying its sovereign rules to declare that what Australia has been doing is fundamentally illegal. So Immigration Minister Peter Dutton's come out and said that no, detain- no detainees will be resettled in Australia. What do you think is the likely outcome of this decision then? Well, I mean, the Immigration Minister, I think, is clearly in election mode and he's sort of trying to keep everyone's heads in the sand and say, nothing to see here, it's business as usual. But, I mean, it's a pretty significant judgment and that doesn't quite cut it. 
I expect what they'll probably try and do is just fling the gates open. Um, we saw them do something similar when we challenged the Nauru Detention Centre in the Australian High Court. But it's important to be clear on this. Just flinging the gates open doesn't resolve the fundamental injustice of leaving a 1,000 men languishing on a remote island for three years. We really have to look at humane, compassionate ways out of this mess. Mm. Is it also possible that the, the detainees could be released into PNG? Because we have seen that some of the, the, the few detainees that have been released, some of them have actually gone back to the camp because they've feared for their personal safety in, in PNG. Yeah. I think, I mean, let's look at the facts here. It's been about three years since Australia started sending asylum seekers to PNG. In that time, two of the men we sent to Manus have died and only a tiny handful have actually been resettled. So if it was viable, if it was realistic to resettle a large number of refugees in PNG, it would have happened. The fact that it hasn't shows that it's not realistic and we've got to look at alternatives. Um, ben Lomai, the, the lawyer who brought the case, the Port Moresby lawyer, argued the state was required to release the men back to their first port of entry, which is Australia, and to pay compensation to them. Does the judgment mean that those two things are required under law? Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that either of those two things are required under the law, but it does raise the possibility of both of those two things happening. I mean, the first thing the judgment makes clear is that something's got to give it says you've been locking up these innocent men illegally, that must end. It doesn't say how it must end and what that must look like, but it's got to end and end quickly. The other thing the judgment makes clear is, you know, this is a human rights violation that's been going on for three years. You've got to address that. You've got to provide a remedy. So I'd expect, you know, further litigation um, around wrongful detention. I mean, the UN has been pretty damning of Australia's um, refugee policy before and uh, now this decision comes after that. It doesn't seem, though, that either of the major parties are budging on their stance. What do you think it's going to take, if it doesn't take this, to make them change their, their policy? Well, I think in, in some respects the decision is going to be made for them, but the, the unsustainability of the arrangements is, is self-evident. Mm. You've got international criticism. You've got the courts of Papua New Guinea saying you can't do this anymore. Just last week, um, the government's own... Uh, the, the, the Immigration Department itself released data that about half of the children we've brought back from Nauru are suffering from a diagnosed mental health issue. So I think they realise there's a real problem here and I hope they show the leadership required to, to genuinely consider compassionate alternatives. Mm. Are, the, are the detainees aware of this decision? If so, what's their reaction been? Uh, well, I haven't spoken to the guys on Manus yet, but um, I've heard that they're pretty excited. I mean, a, a little bit of hope. When you've been left on an island for three years, when you've seen a couple of your friends die, um, a, a moment like this gives a little bit of hope, and that goes an awfully long way. And I think the reality for these men is they have been on a long, painful road to nowhere for a very long time. No doubt they're hopeful this is a sign of change. If the, oh, sorry. Sorry. You know, the, with this thing that it's come out, that it, it's been deemed illegal, um, how did that first come about? 
Like three years ago, how was it not illegal back then or how, how did it just come about in the first place? Well, it was illegal back then, the judgment says. So this is a case that was filed when the arrangements um, first began, when the first people were locked up on Manus. And, you know, unfortunately, the wheels of justice turn slowly in, in PNG and it's taken this long for the case to work its way through the system. But the finding is that every one of these guys, every one of these innocent men has been unlawfully detained for every hour of every day of the last three years. Which is quite extraordinary. Um, just before we we let you go, a couple of other quick things. Does this have any implications uh, for Nauru, the other detention centre? Well, not directly. Not directly. This is a decision by the PNG court supplying PNG law. Interestingly, the Nauru constitution contains a similar provision. Um, so remains to be seen whether any... Um, any lawyers will try and use this case as a precedent to look at the lawfulness of, of past detention um, on Nauru. Have to wait and see. Okay, and finally, what's the, been res- the response within PNG? I mean, I understand that the, that the Manus Island camp is very unpopular there. So what's the political response within the country? Yeah, the camp is a very, um, is a very divisive issue within PNG. And I've, I've been there and spoken to people about it. And it, it's quite interesting. I mean, I, I walked through that Manus Island detention centre myself. It's really confronting and it leaves you with this clear sense that, you know, however complex the policy challenge, being deliberately cruel to innocent people like this isn't the solution. And I think a lot of people in PNG have that same sense. They say, look, we don't understand Australian politics, but we know this is wrong. And I think a decision from the highest court in that country is just going to fuel resentment within PNG of these arrangements. Very interesting times, especially in an election year. We've been talking to Daniel Webb from the Human Rights Law Centre. Thank you very much. You're listening to the best bits of The Breakfasters from 3RRR. It's time to welcome the one and only Dr Jen into the studio. And Dr Jen, I'm sure lots of listeners are already sitting and squirming in their seats because they've heard that we're going to be talking about arachnophobia and spiders. And that's true. Some people you only have to say the word spider. Spider. Yeah, it doesn't affect me, I'm okay. But some people are at home kind of already getting the shakes and looking around and, you know, panic symptoms. And it's it's considered to be... Well, I don't know, I couldn't find exact figures that I'm happy to quote reliably, but most people argue that it's it's probably the worst phobia around really they're all the most common phobia but exact numbers are hard to come by anywhere from seven to fifty percent of people are considered to wow. be arachnophobes what, what, what counts as arachnophobia i mean it must be more than just feeling a little bit you know i don't like spiders yeah exactly because <clears throat> excuse me yeah i don't actually consider myself an arachnophobe as much as i'm not a you know i wouldn't let a spider walk over my hand happily but to be considered a true arachnophobe your fear of spiders has to interfere with your daily life so it has to mean things like you know you won't walk into a room if you know a spider is there you spend a lot of time worrying about spiders you any room you walk into you're immediately scanning you know every corner to make sure there's no spider there if you come across a spider you have panic symptoms you know it's pretty serious, full-blown arachnophobia. There seems to be people that are kind of not quite 
arachnophobic that are, I've got friends who they wouldn't be able to step over a spider if they saw it on the ground but yep. they wouldn't scan for spiders yep. when they walked into a room is there kind of an like a less arachnophobia? Think, I think it's just a grey area and that's yeah. why I couldn't find reliable statistics on what proportion of people have an arachnophobia because it's how do you define it I mean yeah. what's the definition of it? it affects your daily life that's obviously a massive continuum but the fact is that spiders actually aren't that dangerous for us you know of, of all the things out there that can kill you you're so much more likely to be killed by any number of other things than spiders. You know, in Australia, we don't know exactly, somewhere between, I think, somewhere around 100,000 species of spider people estimate, and there's really only two of them that have ever killed anybody, um, and not in the last sort of 50 years. Um, once Since we had anti-venom, no-one's died from Sydney funnel web or redback spider bites. And around the whole world, people estimate somewhere around 40,000 or 50,000 species of spider, and only 30 of them have ever been known to kill anybody. And in the whole 20th century, there were only about 100 deaths from spiders. Wow. So you think, you know, in, in the context of a whole lot of other animals like snakes but also a whole lot of other things like, you know, plane crashes... Well, let's not car crashes. No, plane crashes. Let's not, not start good. about plane crashes. <laughs> car crashes. I meant to say car crashes. You know, lots of other things that people, you know, have... You know, you're more likely to have problems with than spiders. So why are we so scared? Yeah, of them? it's crazy. Is it is it a biological? Like it's obviously not a survival thing. If there's they're, they're not that likely to kill you, there's other things. It couldn't be like an evolutionary thing where we've developed this fear of spiders to save us. Well, there's different arguments. So the most common reason for someone to have a phobia is called conditioning, which is you've had a traumatic experience in your life and as a result you're now terrified of something. But there's not that much evidence that that, that's true for spiders. When you talk to kids, if you ask a group of kids, and in this particular study it was 9 to 13-year-olds, what are you most frightened of? Spiders came out as number one. And if you talk to the kids, yeah, if you talk to the kids who are most frightened of spiders, all of them reckoned it was to do with a particular incident in their life. And I reckon my somewhat fear of spiders comes from something that happened to me when I was a kid. But if you talk to adults, there's actually not that much evidence that it's a, you know, a bad trauma experience that, that led to it. So then they did a whole lot of genetic studies and looked at twins and, and it turns out that there is definitely some genetic component. Um, and if you have a fear of spiders, it's more likely if you look at your family that there'll be other family members with a fear of spiders. But of course that could just be that you learn. You know, you, mm. if, if your parents are terrified of spiders, you might learn that that's just something to be terrified of but there does seem to be some genetic effect for sure mm. and does it cross across cultures i mean you know i, I get in western cultures the spider is a terrible thing but there are other mm. cultures where people think ah me spider I couldn't find a lot of information on it. I looked. I think it probably depends on whether there are, you know, venomous spiders in the place that you live is going to have an effect on whether you're frightened of them or not. But really the best argument I found for why we are generally so terrified of spiders, and it turns out that... The, that um, if you look at our evolutionary history, so if you look at the time that we were evolving in, in our early human times in Africa, there, were, there was a much higher proportion, we think, of venomous spiders. So it makes sense that if you were good at recognising a spider um, and avoiding it back in those very early human days, then you were more likely to survive. And evidence for that comes from the fact that humans are incredibly good at picking out the image of a spider from other things. So if you show people a complicated image with lots of things of, all dif of similar colours, so, you know, a really busy picture, humans are incredibly fast at picking out the spider from that image. And Why? so are kids. We, we just have this search image that we are very good at detecting a spider. Kids, um, even babies, they've shown five-month-old babies pictures of a whole lot of things and it's the spiders that catch a baby's attention that, that the baby stares at for longer. From very young, 
people would say, if you're a child, don't, there's a spider, don't go near it. Like, you know, you're told very young you don't go near the spider. Well, as a five-month-old ha- wouldn't have taken yeah, on that information. Yeah. And even three-year-olds, I don't know. So they did a study and, and two- and three-year-olds are much quicker to pick out a spider, even than something like a cockroach, which you could imagine an adult would also say, oh, that's really dirty, don't go and pick mm. up the cockroach. No more, you know, no difference <laughs> there between a spider and a cockroach, yet it's a cockroach that the kids can pick out, you know, that kind of definitive, it's that shape. And if you ask people... If you try and work out what it is that people are so frightened of, it turns out it's not being bitten. People aren't actually scared of being bitten. They just don't like the way spiders move. You know, the the words Mm. that come out when people say what they don't like, it's they don't like their legginess. (laughs) (laughs) They don't like their hairiness. They don't like the way they, you know, they're kind of unpredictable in the way they move around. There's just something about spiders that really irks us. Does that extend to other spidery-like animals? I'm thinking about... Octopuses, and I'm looking at Sarah. <laughs> no, 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 people generally really like octopuses. Yeah. Clearly, there's something really horrible. About Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I find them quite terrifying. Really? Yeah, yeah no, I, I, most yeah. people really like them. But they scuttle as well. Like, they're moving. I don't know if you've ever seen footage of them. The sea. They are the spiders <laughs> of the sea, Jeff, correct. Yeah. Well, there are actually but sea spiders. With but ink <laughs> and beaks as well. Like, it just none of it makes sense. Yeah, I don't know. Most people aren't too concerned about them. Right, OK. Well, let's just Sorry, move, move you're weird. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is, for all those people out there who are scared of spiders, it's actually not that easy... Sorry, it's not that hard to cure yourself of it. There's been heaps of studies. So it's called exposure therapy, and it's exactly what you would imagine. You slowly expose yourself to more and more uh, terrifying for you images or experiences of spiders, and over time you can become quite accustomed to it. So one study did two-hour um, exposure therapy with people... And and these people couldn't even bear to look at a picture of a spider at the beginning and by the end they were holding a tarantula on their hand. And six months later they were still quite happy to hold a tarantula on their hand. So they just learnt that spiders are actually fragile and these amazing creatures that do all sorts of important things, you know, for us and in the environment and actually they're nothing to be frightened of and it was no problem. We had a guest in here who um, does the arachnophobia training at the Melbourne Museum, know, Melbourne Museum wasn't mm, it? Yep. And he was saying that when uh, people first come in, he has to promise them when they come to do those courses, the exposure courses, they're not going to see any pictures for the first hour, they're not going to see yep. a spider. But he's not even allowed to use the word spider. He has yep. to call them um, little friends, I think yeah. is what they... Yeah, <laughs> and little little mates. Most people, like little mates or little friends, wow. that's, that's the only way they can refer to it. But again, he said the exact same thing, that yep. after one to two hours, you've got yep. people handling spiders for the first time in their life. Yep. So what what's happening in the brain then to allow you to go from not even being able to hear the word spider to be able to have one in your hand? It's really amazing. They've been they've done the brain scans and watched how the fear response in the brain changes over this really short time as you just become more exposed to it. And they did this really cool study where they um, had a whole lot of people who were terrified of spiders and then half of them they did this kind of subliminal messaging. So they flashed up pictures of spiders so fast that their subconscious was aware of being, you know, having seen the image. But consciously they hadn't actually seen it. And the other half they showed them pictures of flowers. So all these people were thinking... I don't know, they were watching a movie. I can't remember exactly how they did it. But some of them had been subliminally exposed to spiders and the other half hadn't. And by the end of the test, even those who hadn't been aware that they'd been exposed to spiders were no longer nearly as frightened of spiders. So you don't even have to know you're kind of doing the exposure therapy for it to work. And would that be the same for other scary animals if you're doing that kind of the fear of a snake or whatever, do you think? Yeah. Hmm. 
Mm. And, and for all those people who you know, want to know, yes, there is an app out there for that. There's an app <laughs> called Phobia Free and it takes you through a series. You know, the first spider is this really cute cartoon spider wearing a hat that kind of does his little happy dance. Spider. Yeah, happy spider. <laughs> and then you go through a series of more and more kind of threatening spiders till at the end you're using um, augmented reality to have a tarantula, a lifelike tarantula sitting on your hand. Um, and people argue that it really works. So virtual reality is really good because you can, you can actually have a tarantula sitting on your hand that can't hurt you um, but people argue that these you know this process that you can do with a therapist or, or with an app can totally change people's fear it's not that hard well all those people listening who are squirming a bit at the thought <laughs> but they want to get closer to the spiders in their life maybe they can check out uh, espresso science yes and there's a piece up there please do yep there's a test to find out if you're truly an, uh, arachnophobe there's mm. the link to the app there's all sorts of good stuff excellent we will post that out as well thank you very much Dr. Jen. We'll see, see you in a week's time. You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 R in Melbourne, Australia. Hey, earlier we had um, Dr. Jen in talking about arachnophobia. And just her daughter drew us all nice pictures. We should thank her for that. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Thank you. None of them were spiders, but they were beautiful pictures. Well, how do you know? No, there were no spiders. Uh, she drew me as a pirate, though. That was pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, she knows you well. <laughs> yes. Uh, but I, I wanted to talk more about spiders because I, I'm unsure whether I am arach- an arachnophobia phobic man whatever that is <laughs> like I really love spiders and stuff and and but there's there are times where I go no thank you no have, you, thank ever, you. have you ever had a particularly traumatizing encounter with a spider a couple okay <laughs> I got bitten by a spider no. once yeah that was in primary school when I was um I was just in in the schoolyard and like with my legs crossed, sitting out on the oval, and then I looked at I don't know what what came first, like me seeing the spider and shaking my leg and it biting me. Yeah, you or provoked wh- it by shaking your leg. Or whether I noticed it, I looked down and noticed it and shook my leg because it had bitten me at that stage. Oh, wow. Anyway, I shook my. It bit me, and it was a white tail spider. And um, but I was fine. I just went to the chemist because the doctor was on his lunch break, and and then I came back in time for the softball tryouts. Made the team. It was good. Oh my gosh, that's I amazing! Just, I just walked tough along. as. Yeah, I walked along, like all, a whole line of girls waiting to on waiting to get up and bat. And I just walked along going, holding up my skirt going, check out my spider bite, check out my spider bite, check out my spider bite, <laughs> check out my spider bite. Just to put them all off so you'd definitely get in the team and yeah, they wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Also, I was just very impressed with the big fang marks that were <laughs> on my thigh. Um, but when I was quite young, there was – I remember being on my bed and I looked down and I looked at my, my bed post, there was a red and black striped spider um, – that started crawling up the, the redback. Well, no, it was striped. Oh. But apparently, there, there is a type of redback that mm. is striped. Mm. Anyway, it was red and black and it was striped. Yeah, so it was climbing up the bedpost towards, and I looked at it and it was frozen with fear. And it's, this is seriously how it went. But I was four years old, maybe younger. <laughs> but I, I spoke to the spider and I went, <laughs> "No, spider, <laughs> don't." Don't bite me. <laughs> and then I'd swear it, 
it stopped crawling, right? <laughs> when I spoke to it, it stopped crawling. And then it turned a little bit, like it looked down and then it cr- crawled back up and looked at me again. I went, no. And then it went, oh, and then it crawled back down and went under the bed. <laughs> Do you think maybe you dreamt that? No, it was... <laughs> That was real. It was really real. I spoke to the spider. Spider whisperer. Yeah. The spider whisperer. And it it looked at me and it looked down and then it looked back up and it went, yeah, you're right, mate. You're right. See you later. I'm not going to bite you you in the face. Oh, I spent a lot of time, as you know, on the farm when I was younger and um, we used to get to camp outside occasionally or we had a really great cubby house that was under a a willow tree that my dad had built and... um, one day we convinced mum to let us sleep in the cubby house. Oh, it was kind what? of like this top little attic area. She couldn't actually get into it. It was so small that we were, we, you know, and so she set it all up. She sprayed it all for bugs and, you know, set it up and put out. Like it was a really big thing. We were talking about it all weekend, how we were going to sleep in there. And I remember we had so many spider encounters on the farm. But this particular one traumatised me for a long time because we got into our beds. She came to check on us. She's like, all right, you're ready to sleep. We had a little bit of a net over us so everything would be okay. And as we went to go to bed my sister goes oh this is so exciting Sarah and as she said that I'm not even lying like, this huntsman just went no and just no. jumped onto her shoulder and it was just running across her oh, and I was no. like ah. <laughs> and you know that thing when you're a child and you're like there's your sister you're stuck in a you're stuck in this little cubby a spider's running across her shoulder and your mum can't even get to your mum screaming like get it off her get it off her and I just remember like being dragged out of this cubby house, and that was it for me. We never slept outside again. It was a cubby just, house of horror. It was a cubby house of horror. How was your sister? She's right. She's really tough. My sister. I think I was more traumatized. Such is my life by her experience than she was by her own. But yeah, lots of like jumping huntsmen's. Yeah, see, that's what get the jumping huntsman. Yeah, spiders never, never a thing for me. Snakes, on the other hand, when we we, we used to go camping a lot, and I was always, you know, when you're a kid, you're always told don't go in the long grass. You know, the snakes. So you know, mm. and you spend the whole time just terrified the snakes going to be absolutely <laughs> everywhere you go. And I remember this one trip. You know, we did all that. We were always looking out for snakes, and there were no snakes. And we got to the end, and we were um, rolling up the tent to <gasps> to put the tent away. And underneath the tent was a squashed body of a snake. No, <laughs> somebody no. somebody had rolled over that it. Is mess. Somebody had rolled over it on the night, <laughs> and that was it. Yeah. But were you kind of pleased? Well, yeah, it was one less snake, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Triple R, not for everyone, for anyone. I'm, uh, I like Arnott's shapes just as much as the next person, <laughs> I believe. Um, but I don't know if you're across this, but Arnott's shapes have, um, there's a new recipe. Oh, no. Mm. Mate, do I know? This has been this has been like the controversy of my friends' lives for yeah. like the last month. It's been insane. Can you get us up to speed on this? What's what's the problem with the with the new shapes? Jez, well. do you want to take this one, or well. do you want me to talk about it? Well, I haven't I haven't tasted the new shapes. They're, so they're extreme. The shapes, extreme flavors. No, but that's different. That's a different thing altogether, those extreme boxes. That's a different... These are the salty, spicy things. What okay, are you if you, talking if you about? Don't yeah, yeah, watch, no, 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 look, no, no, no. I don't think that anyone no. needs to contextualise <laughs> what shapes are. <laughs> what? No, unless what do you think shapes are? <laughs> salty, spicy things. Yeah, that's, 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 
They're not peanuts. No. <laughs> anyway, no, but you're thinking of something. Those extreme things are like the. They've also got the different. It's a different thing, right? But they've got the classic. There's the barbecue shapes. There's pizza shapes and the cheddar and all that. They've, they've went. Yeah. They went. Okay, we, there's a new flavour. We we're doing uh we're upgrading we and apparently Arnott's have come out and said oh yes we we people said that they wanted more flavor so we changed the whole recipe they changed the whole recipe new biscuit new flavor i mean shapes have been a staple of our lives for at least 20 years i'd say oh right at least i was eating them as a child so our whole lives people people have lost their, their goddamn minds, minds. <laughs> like i mean lost their minds there are That's so if, sad. if you go to Arnott shapes facebook page the, it's it, hilarious. It is, it is just non-stop people. People saying, "I would, you've ruined my life." <laughs> yeah. like, was, there was one guy who said, um, "Oh, <laughs> hang on, let me find." <laughs> so it's very funny. Also, if you are, if you have tasted the new shapes, can you please give us a call at nine three double eight one zero two seven and just fill us in with how bad or they might be good. They might be good. Like, yeah, if you're a fan, give us a call, 9388-1027. But there was one guy that was like, uh, I just received a, um, a a box of shapes in a birthday hamper. Um, I And now I wish I was never, I never lived. <laughs> they're horrible. <laughs> <laughs> We've got someone calling through now. We'll see if they're there. Hi, you're on Triple R. How are you going? Yeah, good, well, mate. Who you. are we speaking with? Uh, my name's Brett. Hey, Brett, have you called up about Arnott Shapes? I surely have. Look, um, we got some, and um, they're like powder. It's like a powdery <laughs> biscuit. Really? Uh, yeah, and my wife actually emailed them to say, hey, has there been a change? This was early on, probably oh, three or four weeks ago. And yeah, uh, right. they said, oh, we've changed a few things. Uh, if you're not happy, we'll send you some complimentary boxes. <gasps> so they did. They, so they said, didn't you compliment your boxes the old shapes or the, the new ones? No, nah, the, the new ones. But they actually said that they haven't had many complaints. Oh, <laughs> no. Well, wow. Well, check but out their Facebook page. that was three or four page. weeks ago, so maybe it's, it's stepped up. Although Arnott's are starting to write back to everyone. On their Facebook page. Yeah, they are. Um, what was your favourite um, shape previously? Because you know you're either like a barbecue pizza. person or you're pe- pizza. Yeah, pizza. Yeah, pizza. Yeah, pizza. Yeah. Good call. Oh. They've ruined, they've ruined, they've ruined my childhood. <laughs> 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 Thanks for sharing your traumatic experience with us today. Thanks, guys. <laughs> See you, mate. Thanks. Well, I was going to say when you started talking about this, you know that there's a, a similar campaign happening about Cadbury's Roses. No, oh. really. They changed Cadbury Roses. And in fact, because there's a similar campaign, of course there is a um, a Facebook page set up for that. <laughs> Bring back the old Cadbury Roses Facebook page. <laughs> this page expresses concern over what Cadbury have done to their new roses. For the chocolate lovers, it's changed quite a lot for us. Our festive indulgence is not the same anymore because they've scrapped some of their most epic sweets. Not only that, the removal of the retro tinfoil wrappers into more modern contemporary ones has ceased the roller wrapper and hit someone on the head game. Wow. wow. So I was not aware that that was a... So most just, of the time, I'm fairly accepting of change, right? But if I... From what Brett just said about it being, being like a powder, I am... <laughs> I will be riding in. There but is... I can't if you, if you want yet. to, there is several, and I mean several, perhaps even dozens, change.org petitions to fix on its oh. barbecue <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> they're like all over. It's, it's insane. Like people have just absolutely lost their minds. I can't even deal with this. And also, if you happen to have old Arnott shapes, they're going for like 50 bucks on eBay well, at yes. the moment. <laughs> Someone <laughs> put on Can you imagine being the being the person who has to deal with that on Facebook from the company, you have to respond to all of these queries and you'd be spending the whole time just thinking. Well, I think there's a bit of copy and pasting going on in the responses that they're doing. We've got another call, though. Yeah. Hello, you're on Drupal R. Hello. Uh, good morning. G'day. Who are we speaking with? You're speaking with Paul. Hi, Paul. Have you um, rung up to share your shapes experience? <laughs> I have indeed. Now, shapes have been a staple of our family fishing trips since oh. I can remember. Yeah, they're, they're and, a good fishing uh, trip biscuit. Mm. I agree. They are fantastic. I stopped at the supermarket on the way out on Sunday to pick some up. I got out into the boat and we opened them up on the barbecue shapes and I bit into one I said, what the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't aware that they'd changed the recipe or anything and I bit into this thing that just, I couldn't eat the box. Oh, oh no. Is that, did, did how you would you s- describe the new flavour then? Um... Overload. Oh. Too much. Too much flavour. They've, you... they've, they've added something to the flavour of the biscuit itself, but they've changed the ingredients and the structure of the biscuit base, and it's just, it's not edible. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my God. Strong words. Oh, that's it. Oh, did you chuck over the, did you just yeah, chuck the biscuit the to the get fish? get a few shapes? Yeah, they became burly very quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, mate, thank you very much for sharing your shapes trauma. On the upside, we bought a packet of savoury shapes and that has not changed. Oh, Oh, there you go. go. I didn't know you could get some classics. Yeah, well, they they haven't changed. I don't know whether they haven't changed the recipe, but they tasted the same, so we we survived on those for the day. (laughs) I'm glad you survived. That's the main thing. Thanks for your call, mate. Thank you. Uh, I think we have one more shapes call. We've probably yeah, got time just before the news. All right. Hello, you're on Triple R. How are you today? G'day. We're very well. Who are we speaking with? I'm speaking with Bill. Hey, Bill. Are you angry about shapes as well? Well, you know, I'm not a big fan of shapes, so it doesn't really bother me, but I've had a similar experience with Explorer socks. Not that I eat them. But, uh, <laughs> oh. When will the madness end? <laughs> <laughs> I wrote a letter to Explorers, whatever they're called, saying I'm very disappointed because the color range has changed. They just got navy blue and black and so boring. They used to have teal and red and all these colors. And they said, oh, they were seasonal and we just unfortunately we aren't doing it anymore. Seasonal so socks? Well, oh. I, like, well, yeah, I thought it was a dye issue. I didn't realize it was a, you know. Whatever. Anyway, they're not making them, so I cherish well, the pair that I have. Next I only season. wear them occasionally now. I, oh, I, I love, I love that, that 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 was a massive that was a massive trauma in your life. The colour <laughs> of your Explorer socks. You're an absolute legend. Thanks, mate. Have, have you thought of setting up an angry <laughs> Facebook page? Sorry, one of for Explorers. All right. Thanks, mate. Have a good day. You too. Bye now. Oh, they see, it's just the small things in life that can really get you. Yeah. Just, uh, well, I, I accept change, but um, maybe maybe I'll go and try some. This has been a podcast oh. from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly oh. independent community radio. Want to hear oh. more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.